1: Go to the end, O oh sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief, officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O oh sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, want like an armed man. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Do you see a man skilful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men.
0: All right, this is the word of the Lord. Hey guys, as Zach said, my name is Michael. Up until about five minutes ago, I was super excited to be here. Um, We haven't been to church for a couple of weeks. We were on holidays after church camp and we were preaching Gold Coast. But um, in the past, Zach's always been off when I preach and I thought it was a coincidence. But uh, no, no, no. It's better when he's on holidays for the intros. But uh, it's great to be with you guys. Actually, as a dentist, I've been thinking a lot about work, obviously, with this sermon. And um, different jobs, you need to build different sort of attributes, right? And one of the ones you've got to build as a dentist is resilience, right? Like, the feedback you get from patients isn't always fantastic. You know, like, no one gets up and goes, Man, I'm so glad you spent an extra 20 minutes making sure that margin below the gum level is just perfect, right? Things I hear is... That was the worst hour of my life. Or I never want to sit through that again. Or that was just painful. Actually, that's the same feedback I get from you guys after I preach. So um, we're ready for it. It's okay. But hey, listen, why don't we pray uh, before we get into God's word? Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, so much that you are a loving Father, a God who speaks to us through your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit will work. Through us, I will prepare our ears and our hearts, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray that spirit will speak through me, Lord. And um, and Lord, I just pray that we don't get a whole heap of head knowledge out of today, but we have uh, a heart change and transformation in the way we are, that we see you more clearly. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, As a lot of you guys know, we've got four kids. Uh, Two of them are school age, and often they bring songs home from school. Um, Does anyone know that it's just my baby doggy? All right, I'm glad for everyone who's hands down. There's <laughs> Seb's there was one that It's a shocker. But one song they brought um, back this year that I, I didn't know. it's quite an old song, is um, "Bills" by Lunch Money Lewis. Does anyone know that song? Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> Here we. Is it? All right, Great. Well, you'll know., yeah, I've got bills, I've got to pay. So I'm going to work, 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 every day. I've got mouths, I've got to feed, so I'm going to make sure everybody eats. I woke up, I bumped my head, I stubbed my toe on the edge of the bed, opened the fridge, the food's all gone, neighbours darn dog, done, poo on my lawn. Hopped in the car and the car won't start, it's too darn hot but I still got to walk, behind an old lady in the grocery line, praying that my credit card don't get declined. And he just goes back, oh, I've got bills, I've got to pay, I'm going to work, work, work every day. We got the song, it's going to be stuck in your head all week. But I'm not sure about you guys, but when I hear that song, there's a whole lot that resonates, Right? Uh, I do go to work every day. Um, I do have bills I've got to pay. And in our house, it feels like we've got like a thousand mouths to feed. But the question I want to look at today, is that what work is about? Is it just something we've got to endure until we get to retirement or eternity? You know, Do we just kind of trudge through the week, get through the Monday to Friday so we can actually live and do what we want to do on the weekend or get to holidays? You know, do we just get through year by year, the next 40 or 50 years as they keep pushing back the retirement age? Or does God have a different vision for our work? Uh, so today, uh, we're going to spend the next three hours uh, looking <laughs> at um, the beauty of work, the brokenness of work, and the balance of work. And I really hope that as we see this, we have a bigger view, a renewed purpose for our work uh, that is bigger than just bills that we've got to pay. Um, so let's kick off with the beauty of work. Uh, in Proverbs 22, 29, it was read earlier, it says, Do you see the man skillful in his work? He will stand before the kings, he will not stand before obscure men. You know, sometimes you see someone and they're just doing something, it looks like they were just born to do, right? Like you think Usain Bolt in his prime sprinting, it just looked like he was born to do it. Or you go to that concert and the musician's just unbelievable, it's this whole Emotional, visceral experience, and you're like, "Wow!" Or you go to a, like a nice restaurant, and you sit at the bar, and you watch the chef working that grill and plating up. Or maybe I just get excited about that, and you're just like, "This is beautiful." Or you see that school teacher, you know, with thirty little kids, and they're just amazing with them, and they just look like what they were meant to be doing. Right? It's a beautiful thing, and you know, work is actually a gift from God. It is something that is part of His plan. For us, And when we look at the scripture, um, God himself is a God who works. Uh, when we look in creation, you know, Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And again, in Genesis 2, before the fall... It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Uh, This might come as a shock to you, but when you go to work tomorrow, it's not actually as a result of the fall. It's actually part of God's plan for us. And that can be surprising because our culture often says that our life is about us and fulfilling our dreams and hopes, and it's sort of all about what we can get out of things, right? And that should include our work. You know, we should be doing our dream job, nothing that makes you unhappy. It's about our benefit, our income, our ability to serve ourselves. And though some of those things are important, if that's what we reduce work to, we're actually missing the point. Um, The reformers, uh, John Calvin and Martin Luther, had a much higher view of work. Uh, They actually argue that all work, including secular work, is a calling from God. Um, They think it's as much of a calling as ministry. Um, You see, they argue that work has has immense dignity and importance because God actually cares for humans. He feeds humans. He protects other people through our work. Um, luther actually refers this to us being the fingers of god in creation and some reformers go even further and say that actually we get to restructure creation so our christian worldview helps us to uh, reorientate a disordered world for example um, as a dentist we fight sort of breakdown and decay of teeth and we try to restructure it and yes like often i say to patients at the end listen We've done our best, but it's not as good as what God put in there originally. But we are trying to recreate that, and that is often what we're trying to do in our work. Have you ever considered your work in this way, a calling from God to actually help society and human flourishing? You know, in Scripture, we see God do many, many jobs, all right? Like in Genesis 1, he just He makes stuff, lots of stuff, and he creates things and enjoys the work that he's done. He's, he looks at it and he says, hey, this is good. In Genesis 2, he works then as our provider. In Psalm 104, uh, it describes God as caring for the world, he waters it, he cultivates it, uh, the ground, he gives food to all that he's created for, he cares for things. There's actually no job that's beneath God. Um, I'm actually Egyptian, I was born in Egypt and Uh, We moved over here when I was four. And in the Egyptian culture, there's lots of really beautiful things, right? Like family is really important. Uh, There's a real tight sense of community. Um, Generosity is encouraged, even if you don't have much. Uh, Everyone gets fed lots of food. There's lots of good things. But there's actually some things that aren't so great about the Egyptian culture. And one of those is actually around work. Um, The way you're viewed in society is heavily dependent on your job and the status, right? So there's lowly jobs, like manual labour, or then there's professional jobs where you have a high regard. And it's just so in your face that, like... So my dad in Egypt, he, he was an engineer, and he'd, you know, if he's out somewhere and someone's introducing him, he would be introduced as Engineer Mamdur. Or if you're a cleaner, you know, it's cleaner, whatever. Um, it's so in your face. Like, I've got an uncle who's been here for, like, 40 years. We go to family lunches, he refers to me as doctor. It's a bit weird, you know? But... Um, When we moved over here and my dad was 40, he took a job as a groundsman in a school. And in Egyptian culture, there's like a lot of shame associated with that. And even though um, my dad's a solid Bible man, he really struggled for what that actually meant for his identity. When in reality, he was working hard, serving the community, providing for his family, got to share the gospel in his job, there was nothing wrong with it. And though I don't think... Our culture here is exactly the same. I do think that there's some jobs that we look at that are considered lowly and other jobs that are considered with higher regard. But when we see how God has worked, we actually see the beauty and dignity of all work. It doesn't matter the job. Um, In Robert Beller's Habits of the Heart, he helpfully says, to make a real difference, there'd have to be a reappropriation of the idea of vocation or calling a return in a new way to the idea of work as a contribution to the good of all and not merely as a means to one's own advancement. Um, I think John Tyson kind of put it quite helpfully last week when he was talking about, you know, the world says we need to find a career, whereas we ought to be looking for a calling, right? How God has gifted us to be able to serve others. And I know, um, as I've reflected on these things, it has put a bit of a bounce in my step at work. Uh, In our weekly team meetings, my motivational talks are bordering on actually being motivational. Um, But, you know, what we're doing, uh, it matters. And it's so easy to think, hey, if I'm not in full-time ministry, I'm not actually doing God's work. And that's just simply not reality. The work you do matters. The effect it has on people around you, your colleagues, your clients, the community, that is God working through you to serve his creation. Yeah, we've got bills we've got to pay, and we work, work, work every day. But there is so much more to work than just paying the bills. And so we can be that man or woman skilled, skillful in our work, as the proverb said, and there will be reward and satisfaction and meaning. Work is... A beautiful part of our creation when we lose sight of that we actually lose the joy of it um, i've got a patient luke uh, who just happens to be a christian and he is like tattooed up so he's got like the full sleeves and half a leg and we were chatting uh, a few weeks ago about tattoos and tattoo artists and whatever and i i said to him oh what's what's this one on your wrist he's got this series of numbers and he's like oh it's actually my employee number and I'm like, oh, wow. And he's like, yeah, I, I work in the mines and I just think it's such a blessing to be able to go to work and do what we do and help people out and provide a living. He's like, I just hate it when people whinge about their job, like such a blessing that God's given us to be able to work. And I was like, man, that is refreshing, right? And um, I guess the question for, for us is, you know, have you discovered the beauty of your work? So we know that work has a beauty right? But there's also a brokenness. Now, you might be listening to me and you're like, man, you are so idealistic here and, and like quite naive. Like You haven't worked in my workplace. Uh, you haven't had to deal with the workplace politics. Or you haven't had to work next to that colleague every day who's undermining me. Or you haven't had to put those hours and hours of work into a project that just gets cancelled before we get to do anything. We don't feel like we achieve anything. Well, I have experienced the brokenness of our work. It's been, a, been actually a particularly rough week at work this week. Um, I have a colleague who's here today who uh, described uh, my reaction on Friday to some uh, tricky news as, uh, are you done with your tantrum yet? Um, <laughs> it was a fair call. It was a fair call. Uh, but I actually uh, discovered the brokenness of work pretty early in my working career. So like when I was like 13 or 14, I'm not even sure if it was legal to be working. Um, I got a job at ANZ Stadium, you know, when Suncorp was just like a hole and, and the Broncos used to play at ANZ Stadium and concerts were there. And I was like a vending boy. So uh, you, you wear the little tray and you go around, you sell Coke or Cornettos or pies or, what, or whatever it is, right? And uh, you got paid like a percentage of what you sold. Uh, it was a G up. Like, you look back and you're like, you, you get paid like $2.50 for the night. It, but uh, I heard, I learned some hard truths in that job. Uh, so one night, I got cornetos, And cornetos are what you wanted. They were light. They were, like, expensive. So you had a chance to make a little bit of money. And, and they were easy to sell. And uh, 13, 14, I didn't understand the whole eastern stand, western stand, uh, the people that, you know pay a bit more money for tickets, northern stand, southern stand, a little bit shady. And I'm, I'm in the southern stand and uh, I'm selling a Cornetto and I open the lid and like 15 hands get in there and I got robbed. And uh, <laughs> I'm like closing this thing, I'm only like pretty little and I'm, I'm disheveled, right? And I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to my boss, you know, he might give me a cuddle, who knows, but it'll be okay. And I get there, he's like, what do you mean you had like 15 cornetos stolen? Mate, you better get selling or it's going to come out of your pay. And and there and then I discovered the brokenness of work uh, very early. But when we look in Genesis 3, we actually see that as sin enters the world, there is a brokenness to all parts of life, including work. And it says uh, in verse 17, Like the rest of creation, there is a beauty, but there's also a brokenness. And in Proverbs, um, there's a few particular parts of that brokenness that uh, the writer goes after. And so the first one uh, that's repeated often is the warning against the sluggard, right? Uh, Proverbs is littered with these. We read some of those, read out before. I'll read a few more. Uh, Proverbs 10 verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich... He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs twelve twenty seven. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent will get precious wealth. Or Proverbs twenty thirteen. Let not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty. And I can list like another 15 or 20 that are very similar. The warning against the sluggard. And then on the flip side uh, to the diligent, the rewards you'll get. Now, as we've seen, as we've looked at Proverbs, and I know we've mentioned this already, uh, these are general principles. They're not hard and fast rules, right? And when we look at that, we get to see the helpfulness of it. If you look for the outliers, like you might be reading this, and you go, man, I work my behind off every day, and I'm not getting great wealth. Or equally, what about the professional gamer who like, earns $200,000 a month playing video games and just ra- laying around at home? It's not helpful to look at those outliers. But, you know, sluggardness actually presents in a variety of ways. Um, When I was first reading this, I'm like, oh, man, I actually work pretty hard. I reckon this probably isn't one I'm struggling with. But I think it actually applies to all of us in different ways. Um, The first way I think sluggardness applies is just people who are simply lazy, right? People that are unwilling to do the hard work that is required to thrive in a job. Um, I've owned a business for the last 10 years... And um, I've noticed over the years, and it's interesting because as I've spoken to other business owners, even across industries, there seems to be a trend that it's getting harder to recruit diligent workers. Um, my team are awesome, but when you're recruiting, it, it is hard. Um, there seems to be a growing attitude among some people is that they just simply don't have to work hard. Um, it's not fair to actually have to rock up every day you're rostered on, let alone work hard while you're there. You know, for them, uh, work is about serving them. It's about my life, my joy, what I want to get out of it, and not considering how you're actually helping anyone. And like the sluggard who fails to get up in the harvest, this person fails to see the importance of work and just looks at it as, you know, the way to pay for their next night out or whatever it is, and they end up just bouncing from job to job and are pretty much unemployable. There's another aspect to sluggardness. We see in Proverbs 21, verse 5, which says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who's hasty comes only to poverty. Uh, You know, these are the shortcut, get-rich-quick people, right? And that presents in a lot of ways, Uh, but it's often those who don't want to do the hard work to get the success long-term. This is often most notable, right, when you see people leaving school. Uh, You know, you've got... Some people who are willing to invest in their future, embrace the poverty of you know, being an apprentice or going to uni or doing some other training, knowing that they'll sort of reap the rewards of that later on. And then there's those who kind of like take that gap year that kind of extends into their 30s and are never actually fully employed. And that sluggerness is pretty obvious and like poverty follows, as it says in Proverbs. But... What about the sluggardness that's outside of work? Like maybe, like myself, you're like, man, I'm pretty diligent while I'm at work. But how are you with your jobs out of work? You know, we've been looking at the rule of life and considering how we spend, um, you know, our time, how much time are we scrolling on videos, on our phone, um, how much sleep are we getting, what are we doing with our life? Like I know for me, uh, personally, uh, life can feel busy. But for the last probably 15 years, I've always found an excuse not to exercise, right? And so I can blame the four kids, but in reality, you know, I'm at a stage where I'm kind of not yet 40 and I just get injured doing normal life. Um, And sort of at the moment, Grant's doing like a program to get me fit, and he and Izzy kind of laugh about how I won't actually follow it. And to be fair, (laughs) history suggests I probably won't. Um, I will this time. I'm going to turn around. But uh, the second warning... Uh, that I think Proverbs goes after, is actually around integrity. And this is repeated quite a lot as well. Uh, A couple of them uh, here Proverbs 16, verse 11. It says, "A just a balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are His works." Or, chapter 20, verse 10, "...unequal weights or unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord." Now, this one often feels like pretty easy to obey, right? You're like, I don't out and out steal, I haven't defrauded anyone that I know of, Uh, I even pay my taxes, I'm cool with integrity, right? But what if we turn that around and consider about how diligent you are during your work hours? Uh, I don't get the benefit of working from home, but I can only imagine those who work from home, the temptation there is, right? To kind of get distracted putting that load of washing on or load that dishwasher. You know, how honest are we about our morning tea times and our lunch times? How honest are we about, you know, when we clock on and clock off, right? Or what does it look like for a Christian who might work in a particularly lazy government department where there's actually no consequence for you for being lazy? What does it look like in those circumstances? Or the tradie on the big work site um, I know Timmy taught me a saying that he learns as a young apprentice on those sites and that's like efficiency breeds redundancy. <laughs> that's not how Timmy works. Timmy works hard. <laughs> he was, we were talking about this, he was just telling me that saying. Um, you, and But when you look in Proverbs, right, who does it say it's offence to? It's not actually talking about the employer or the person who gets robbed. It's actually talking about God. It says it's an abomination to the Lord. Because you see, when it comes to integrity and our life in general, we only actually answer to one person, and that is God. We only have an audience of one. So it's not about, hey, what can I hustle and get away with? What what sweet gig am I getting here where I get to cut corners? It's actually about sinning against our maker. So if nothing else, the Christian in the workplace should at the very least be The person with integrity, the person that's known for doing the right thing, even when they don't know anyone's watching. Now, the third trap uh, that is gone after a little bit in Proverbs here with work is um, working just for the money, right? Uh, Now, this is a tricky one, and it's quite balanced in Proverbs. And uh, to do a deep dive into this, um, we, we had a great sermon on it last week, so have a check out on Spotify. But I'll talk about a couple of things. Um, you know, so many of the Proverbs can be a little bit confusing, right? Like, so many of them are the diligent gets rich and the sluggard has poverty, right? Like, the ones we read out before, that's kind of what it says. But then when we read Proverbs 23, verse 4 to 5, it seems to contradict this by saying, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone, for suddenly it, it suddenly bit sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. So, how do we balance the two, you know, work diligent, be well thought out, um, you know, invest in your future, make a profit, but do not acquire to work, to to gain wealth? Well, I think, like so many of our issues, it's actually more about our heart. Um, It's about what we make idols rather than the thing itself, You know, when we look at Proverbs, when we look at Scripture, it says, you know, work is given for us. We should use our gifts. Uh, There's nothing wrong with wanting to work hard, help the community, um, you know, being the fingers of God, even trying to climb the ladder somewhat to have more influence. There's nothing wrong with wanting to earn a living to provide for your family. It's just when that thing becomes a thing that you're putting your trust in. when that's becoming your ultimate thing or when your identity is actually in that wealth that you're building or your security is in that. Um, Over the last couple of years, we've had a couple of uh, families um, uh, that we're friends with that uh, are kind of neck deep in children and um, they uh, feel convicted, want to support their um, wives to sort of stay at home and be with the kids. And uh, I've seen um, those families... Um, you know, sacrifice a lot to do that. You know, it is expensive living on a single income, as everyone in this room knows, right? And I was actually really encouraged by these families as they've continued to be generous and um, hospitable to people, even though every dollar was accounted for. But recently, um, both of the guys actually started their own businesses in completely different industries um, in an attempt to sort of increase their income to be able to support their family better. Uh, I've seen them both work harder than they've ever worked before, um, and they are seeing some of that financial reward they were hoping for. But they realise, you know, establishing a new business means a lot more work, right? And so I've been encouraged by watching them, rather than tap out of family life or tap out of church community, uh, they've just kind of tapped out of more than five hours sleep a night. Um, but they realise it's just for a series, season. Now, I'm not sharing this story to say that you know, everyone needs to earn more money or everyone should start a business or even commenting about whether mums should stay at home with kids or get a job. And I'm not giving a recommendation on how many hours you should sleep a night. But uh, what I do want to point out is that the desire for money isn't always a bad thing. It's not always wrong or sinful. It's actually the heart behind it. It's what you're doing with that money. So when your life becomes about wealth as the primary thing, then you will be disappointed. As we saw in that proverb and as Jesus sort of says in the New Testament, you know, your wealth can disappear overnight. And you know, equally, when you're offered that job promotion, it shouldn't just be an automatic yes, right? There should be some consideration for what's that going to mean for my family life if I've got to work a whole lot more. Hey, if I've got to travel a whole lot more, am I still going to be able to be involved in church? All these decisions are complex and they take wisdom. And wisdom sort of starts with seeing God for who he really is. So, so far, we've looked at the beauty of work, right? Uh, We've seen the purpose of it, uh, but we've also experienced the brokenness of work. Like, so often, people start out their careers just full of enthusiasm. They're going to change the world. I'm going to do this and that. And you just see it slowly getting beaten out of them as the years go on. And so, we've seen the brokenness of work. And the question is, where do we find The balance of work. And when we look at Proverbs 15 verse 19, it says, the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Now, this is actually an interesting proverb because it looks like it's just any other warning to the sluggard, right? Just, hey, that way is the way of the thorns, just work harder. But The flip side of that, it says the path of the upright is a level highway, right? It's not the diligent or the hardworking or the clever like we've seen in other Proverbs. So when we look at that path of thorns, it's a bit of a reminder of what we read in Genesis 3, right? It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. You know, cursed is our work because of sin. That's the way of the thoughts. But the problem is, who, who can be the upright, right? We know in Romans, it says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know through Scripture and through experience of life is that we don't live up to standard. But when we look in Galatians 3, in verse 13, it says this, but Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, when Jesus was crucified, he took the curse of sin upon himself for our sakes. And as he hung on that tree, what they crown him with? It was with a crown of thorns. Think about the work that Jesus did for us on that day as he was crucified, as he was beaten, as he carried his cross up the hill. As Jesus called out, it is finished. In 2 Corinthians Um, Chapter 5, verse 21, it says these incredible words. For our sake, he made him to be sin, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or it's made Jesus become sin so that we could be the upright. You see, what we know is true of the gospel is that if we turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus, the one who came... He took the thorns, the curse of our sins. He did the work on our behalf, who took on himself the punishment for our sin, we get His righteousness. And so this is like incredible news, right? And when we look at Proverbs 19 again, we realize that Jesus took the hedge of thorns so that we get to get the level highway. And when we get that, that changes everything, and including our work, right? Because the gospel brings a meaningness to our work. It helps us cope with the brokenness of our work because we know that Jesus has dealt with that already. Seeing Jesus' diligence actually frees us up to not be sluggards, right? Knowing what God has done for us um, and that we have his righteousness frees us to be able to live that life of integrity, right? Because we want to live worthy of the gospel. We want to live in response to what our loving Father has done for us. You see, we've been given a better reason not to put our hope on our wealth, right? We have a greater security. And it's incredibly freeing, and it frees us to live this out and actually work better. Um, we've got a greater motivator for work. You know, we're freed from having our identity tied up in what we're trying to achieve at work because our identity is actually in the one that made us righteous. Our identity in Jesus protects us from underwork but it actually also protects us from overwork. You know, you don't need to be an over... uh, sort of, um, I was going to say, workaholic. You don't need to be a workaholic trying to prove yourself out there in industry because your identity is in Jesus and it actually helps you do your job better. It helps you um, be a better colleague. It helps you serve the community better because you're not trying to cut someone down at the knees. So if you're an artist, your work isn't just about making a name for yourself. It's about trying to reflect the beauty of God's creation. Uh, if you're a town planner or a um, developer, you know, it's not just about trying to drive a profit, but it's actually trying to help build a functional community and house people. Um, if you're in corporate world um, and you're a Christian, you're trying to find Christian values within your workplace that you can champion and try to promote and help to improve your corporation. Um, if you work in health, you know, you're trying to love your patients, you're trying to help them um, restore their health. And if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're working hard to care for your family and disciple your children. No job is more important than the other. We're all called to work for God's glory. Now, as we do this, we ought to be a witness to our colleagues and our clients. And I know this is the point where everyone just kind of gets a bit uncomfortable, right? Uh, We take a deep breath, and we Christians, we love to say, Michael, I, I hear you. Well, man, I'm going, to, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to work with integrity. I'm going to be... Heck, I'll even be kind to people at work. And that is my witness at work. And to that I say, amen, go do that. But nobody has ever realized that they are a sinner, that where they stand now, they are facing God's wrath and judgment, and they actually need to repent of their sin and put their faith in the Jesus who came and lived for them and died on the cross and rose again. No one know, learns that because Christian Joe comes to work year after year and works with integrity. And they especially don't make that connection when they don't even know Christian Joe is a Christian, right? And so we you know, need to be able to put our hands up and say, oh, I'm a Christian in our workplace. And I know that's a scary thing. Um, you know, often your colleagues are the people you spend like 40 hours a week with. You get to know them. You love your colleagues, right? And if we're not going to share the gospel with those who we spend the most time with in a week, who are we going to share it with? Like we live in a pretty post-Christian world and in all likelihood, you're probably the only Christian that they know well and you've got a unique opportunity to be able to speak into their lives and share this good news about Jesus the gospel should transform our lives so much that you can't truly be known without your faith in Jesus being a part of that, right? And so often the easiest way to sort of come out and let people know you're a Christian is around the weekend wrap-up. Hey, what'd you get up to on the weekend? I went to church. What'd you get up to last night? I went to gospel community. Gospel community is a great one because no one knows what the heck you're talking about. And so often there's a bit of a follow-up question, Um, you know, when people compliment your integrity or your diligence or your kindness, don't let that compliment go wasted, but share your why. Now, I'm going to do something here that I feel incredibly uncomfortable about. Like, I hate, uh, you know, using myself in a positive sense. Uh, Equally, I want to make this somewhat helpful and practical. And so share a little bit of how I do this in my workplace or an example of it. And so forgive me as I do this because I, I, I do feel uncomfortable about it. But um, during COVID, uh, one of my patients, um, she's incredibly successful businesswoman. Um, you know, Had like 20 employees, ran a um, company that brings in international speakers and runs big conferences, right? And so as you can imagine, COVID hits, borders are closed. She can't even get someone from Melbourne let alone international so her business is done and uh, it was a it was a tough time for her financially it was really hard and uh, we were kind of we were aware of that and um, she's been a a patient for quite a few years and um, she had an issue with her tooth and um, I wasn't super comfortable leaving it because there was a risk that things you know could go south and so I just still listen like Let me just do this for you. I'm happy to do it for free. And, you know, being a pretty successful businesswoman, she did not appreciate, you know, taking a hand out. She didn't want that. Uh, But her situation was, you know, pretty dire at that point, and so she accepted it. And we did this treatment, and at the end of the treatment, she started crying. And I don't think it was because of my treatment, by the way. (laughs) Um, But, you know, she just looked at me, and she's just crying. She's like, thank you so much. You, You know, you're just such a generous man. And at that point, you know, I could have just gone, yeah, thanks. But uh, I sort of said to her, hey, listen, you, know, you might not know this about me, but I'm a Christian. And what that means for me is that while I was God's enemy, while I had nothing to offer, God was incredibly generous to me in sending Jesus to pay the price for my sins so I can have eternal life. And as a result of my God's generosity, I try, imperfectly, to live a generous life. Now, I'd love to tell you that just there and then, you know, she became a Christian and we baptised her at the workplace, but that didn't happen. But, you know, I do pray that Jesus will use that conversation, that time in her life to bring her to God. Um, You know, sharing the gospel, it, it shouldn't be about building up to like one big conversation, right? Like it shouldn't be this big crescendo thing. It's just sharing your life with people, what motivates you. Um, It's showing how the Christian story is better than the story that the world sells us, right? We are in a post-Christian society. I said that before. And more and more, you know, people just know nothing about Jesus at all. And, you know, as you build relationship with people in your work, as you work with integrity, as you are honest and diligent and kind, you're in a unique position to be able to share that amazing news about Jesus, And what's the worst thing that's going to happen, right? Like, if you do it with a little bit of social sensitivity, like, someone can just turn around and say, I don't don't want to talk about this. Um, I've actually had that happen to me twice. And, like, it's pretty confronting. And you feel, like, really deflated and like, man, how I I failed to show the beauty of the gospel here. Um, But... um, one of those people, like a year later, um, I think some people were in the room when this happened, um, we, we had GC, it was like 10.30 at night, she called, and her friends were in like a fatal car accident, and she was in tears asking us to pray. And she's like, can you get your church people to pray as well? And we had GC, we did. Um, and another, the other colleague who was like, hey, I don't want you talking about this, actually you shouldn't even be talking about this with patients, it's going to cost you patience and I'm like, yeah, it's okay, it's... I'm okay losing patience for this reason. Um, She's been with me a long, long time and and was going through some really heavy personal family stuff and one day just, you know, says, can you pray for me? Now, again, I'd love to tell you that these guys are now Christians, but that's not the case. But it's not our job to save people, right? But we do believe that the gospel is powerful and it does not return empty. And when we're sharing the gospel, something is happening. And what the Holy Spirit does with that is God's work. It's not our job. Guys, we have a better story. We do. Our colleagues deserve to hear it. Our community deserves to hear it. And you don't need a PhD in apologetics to share how the gospel has changed your life. You know, so often people are like, oh, I've got to read 10 books, I've got to be confident. No, no, just share about the difference Jesus makes in your life. And, you know, we do have a bunch of resources. Um, Invite people along to church. Uh, We had God on Tap last week. Uh, We had a bunch of the team last year go along to God on Tap, and they really enjoyed it. It, Like, they're good things that we do. Um, IJ coming up, um, I've done it a couple of times. It is awesome. Bring some friends along. It's, um, you know, there's heaps of resources to help out. Um, You know, there's reading the Bible one-to-one. Um, Mike, I'd love to show you guys the app and, and go through that with you. There's just so many things. You know, bring it to your GC. Hey, share stories of who you're sharing the gospel with at work. Let's encourage each other to be doing this while, we go, while we're at work. You know, I hope this week as we go out to work, we see the beauty of work and how we are the fingers of God to serve our community. And yes, we will confront the brokenness. It won't take long tomorrow to feel the brokenness of it. But as we think of the work that Jesus did for us, that we see that balance, that we are free to do this work, we're free to serve people and also to share the gospel. As we go out today, I want to just read Colossians three twenty-three 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Uh, for Jesus and the work he did for us. I thank you uh, that our identity is in you, Lord, and we don't have to strive to earn that. Uh, but, Lord, I pray that we live out a response to that, that we might work diligently, that we might serve our community, that we might love our colleagues, Lord. And, Lord, more, most importantly, that as we look at how you worked for us, that we could see your beauty all the more and, um, and, Lord, try to live a life worthy of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.